0: Um, I want to conclude our series that we're in the Do Not Be Anxious series, Living at Peace in an Anxious World. And I want to conclude with uh, a walk through how we help our children and young people live at peace in this age of anxiety. Now, this is not just for us, those of us who are parents in the room, okay? So if you're not a parent, don't switch off on me. Um, But it's actually... For every single one of us. Because one of our values here at Vineyard is that um, we're all a family. That as a church, we love and we care and we support and we encourage all our children. And uh, as a parent, I'm so very, very thankful that my three sons have benefited from that in this community for the last 13 years. That Jason and I are not the only two people in this community community that have poured into their lives, that have supported them, that have encouraged them, that have spoken words of encouragement over them, have even rebuked them when they've needed rebuked. Sharon Cummings was brilliant at doing that when they were younger because she was like their auntie and uh, (coughs) and it was brilliant but that's all part of of being a family and in Africa they say it takes a village to raise a child and I think it takes a church to raise a child and uh, so every one of us Every single one of us this morning here has a role to play. You know, if you're not a parent yet, I'm pretty sure that your friends of children, your friends maybe have kids that you have influence on. You're an aunt or an uncle, you're a cousin, you're maybe a brother or a sister, your grandparents, your mums and dads, or your stepmoms and dads, or your surrogate mums and dads. And I got adopted into a whole other family when I was growing up. I mean, I my mum and dad are still alive and I'm in their family but I became unofficially adopted we used to say into my best friend's family because she had five brothers and I had none and she was more than happy to let me borrow them (laughs) and pretend they were hers she would come to my house because it was so quiet and I would go to her house because it wasn't so quiet and uh, we would share each other's families and and I want us as a as a church family to see that that all our children all the children that are up in that wee room there, those, the baby Vines room, the children that are in baby and Cheryl's vineyard kids out the back, the teenagers and, and the young people that are in the, the foyer, all these children are our children. They're all our children. But I realise that in this talk today, probably the weight of it is going to fall most heavily on us that are parents. So I want to encourage you this morning to listen to this talk with through a huge lens of grace for yourself okay so right now we're listening through a lens of grace i do not want you leaving those doors more heavily weighed down in fact the complete opposite i'm my prayer is that you walk out those doors this morning encouraged equipped and feeling lighter not more weighed down so let's pray one minute father god right now all those burdens all those heavy weights and in particular on the parents of in the new room that are still parenting young children, babies, toddlers, primary school children, teenagers, young adults. Lord, would you carry that burden for them? Would you lift that weight off their shoulders? Father, would you silence those voices that are telling them that they're doing a terrible job and remind them Remind them of the good things and the love that they're pouring into their children. Thank you, Jesus. We live in a time of anxiety in our culture and world. And modern life is filled to bursting with stress, worry, pressures, and expectations. And even as adults, we find them difficult to bear, don't we? It's just this constant stress and strain that the world, it just, it doesn't feel like it's getting less. In fact, if anything, it just feels like it's increasing. And it's no surprise that one in five of us are currently battling with our mental health. I mean, the prescriptions for antidepressants are at an all-time high. An all-time high. And this is not, this is a symptom of the problem. It's not in any way a problem itself. It's just purely a reflection of of the state of our mental health as a culture. And sadly, it's no different for our children and young people. One in every ten young people will go through problems to do with their mental health and well-being. If you can think of an average class size, most classes are between 28 and 30. That's probably three children in each class experiencing mental health problems right now. And many of these young children and young people will be attending CAMS, And and for those of you who don't know what CAMS is, it's our Children's Adult Mental Health Service. And that's where they'll get referred to by their doctor to help them with how they're feeling, what they're coping with, um, and help walk them through their recovery. And just like many, many adults in our society, there's lots of our children that go unreferred. So the truth is, there's probably more than three children in each class that are struggling right now. Um, I have Micah's permission to share this and I'm just going to share it very briefly but he told me this morning when I was talking to him from Cali he said "Mom, if you want to talk about anything about my experience this morning you are completely free to do that. So about just over a year ago year and a half ago um, our Micah's mental health started to deteriorate really quite quickly and we With fear and trepidation, because it's a scary thing when your child is unwell, but it's also quite frightening to hand them over, even into the hands of other people that are professionals. And I remember the fear I felt when I took him to the doctor. And I also remember the fear I felt when we first took him to CAMS. But I am so, so thankful I did. I'm so thankful we did. I'm so thankful that we took that decision to get him the help he needed, because he is recovering. He is recovering day by day. I mean, a year ago, he could not have went off to France with a team of people and do do what he's doing right now. And that's a testament to God, absolutely 100%, because I believe in miracles and medicine, but it is also testament to a fantastic doctor that he has at CAMS that is still walking him through, fortnightly, his illness and walking him through his recovery. So do not hesitate. If you hear nothing else this morning, If you think that your child or your niece or your nephew or your cousin or your brother or your sister or anyone in your network is battling with their mental health, please, please, please encourage them to go to their GP. Is that okay? I know we keep saying that, but it is so, so, so important. So here's the thing. I'm not talking from a point or a a place this morning of... um, expertise, let me say, or from a place of perfect parenting either. So that's why I want you to hear that from, that's my disclaimer. I am talking from a place just exactly like the same as the rest of you. I'm trying my best to be the best parent I can, but I struggle and I get things wrong just like everyone else. And today I want us to start with a simple Proverbs, Proverbs 22.6, and you probably already know it. It's a very common one almost every time we talk about parenting, we use it at baby dedications and all those things but I want us to read it together. Proverbs 22, verse 6, and it says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they were old, they will not turn from it. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now, this isn't a promise from God. Instead, it's a principle. It's like a life principle. If we start children off in the right way, then they are hardwired to continue in it. Even psychologists agree with this. They say that in the first four years of a child's life, they are really hardwired in so many, many ways. Now you still can change all of us if our hardwiring isn't set well. We can change it and we can re- redirect it, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. But those first four years are vital in a child's development and in their life. But this promise from God is saying, if you start your child off in the right way, if you set the foundation right, then there's not a promise that they're going to stay in that way, but there's a really, really strong, strong chance, because there's a principle at work here, that they will stay on that same path. See, the culture in this world dictates anxiety, doesn't it? The culture out there dictates anxiety everywhere you look. But the culture within your home, within your family, and within this church family can be so different. We get to choose what that culture is like. We get to set our own culture, and the culture we choose is the kingdom of God. And when we lean into a kingdom perspective, perspective, it often sets us at odds with the world. Do you ever notice that? when you decide that you're going to live your life the way Jesus wants you to live your life, that very often you'll come up against opposition and you kind of thinking to yourself, people are going to cheer me on in this. But actually they don't. All you have to do is in the tea room have a conversation about paying taxes. And the lovely HMRC. And uh, how, you don't take, how you don't pay people cash in hand for getting jobs done because you make sure and pay them properly so that the VAT is paid and all that kind of thing and that soon stops the conversation doesn't it it all gets a bit awkward Nicky, and everybody starts looking at their tea and changing the subject and starting talking about football and things like that there because the culture that God dictates the kingdom culture is so very very often different to the the culture of the world that we live in the easiest metaphor of this is that I want to use is thermostat versus a thermometer. Someone tell me, what does a thermometer do? Good man, Alan. Tells you what temperature it is. And what does a thermostat do? Controls the temperature. Yeah. Alan's getting extra points today. He's going to get stickers. he's He's been answering all the questions. You see, we can take the temperature of the culture because we can read the statistics we can look at all the information that's set out there. We can we can listen to what people are saying, we can know the struggles that are happening in the world out there. So we can take the temperature of the culture. But really, as Christ followers, what we are called to do is to change the temperature. We're called to be thermostats. And where that begins and starts is in our own homes, in our own families, and in our church family here. We get to set the temperature. We get to choose what our values and our culture are going to be. And we start by identifying and setting out what are our family values. Hands up, who's ever been to roadmap? Matt, take note who hasn't put their hands up. Only <laughs> choking. So at roadmap, we talk about a lot we talk a lot about what our values are here at Vineyard Church in Gannon. And our four values are I should get you all to shout these out and see who listens. Go on ahead there. Right. Name our four key values. Outward focus, yeah, very good. So one more? One more. Begin with R. Renewal. 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 <laughs> <laughs> generosity, outward focused, empowered transformation, and renewal. And these four key values, they shape us not just in the things we do, but actually how we do them. So for example, generosity is very important. So um, Jason uses this story, which is quite good. Um, we stopped cutting the donuts up on a Sunday morning. We used to give donuts and Jason would come in and we cut up on two. And I can understand that because sometimes people don't want a whole donut. They just want half a donut. Right? So all these healthy people and all that sort of thing. But it used to, it kind of went against our, our sense of generosity. We were like going, no, but that doesn't look very generous. It looks like we just want people to take half a donut. So then we stopped cutting up the donuts and put a wee knife out. So if anyone wanted to cut up their own donut, they could do that. That's a small example. But you see. It matters not just what we do, but how we do it, doesn't it? You know, we want to be a generous people. Well, it's exactly the same as your family. And we discovered those four key values because we asked people in the world and people that we knew, people in the world. We asked just people who knew us. We asked the council. We asked all our agencies that we worked with. We asked all our friends who had other churches. We said, if you were to pick four words to describe Vineyard Church in Gannon, what would they be? And these are the things that came back time and time again. So as a family, in your home, what are your values? What are the values that describe you, your unique family? What's your culture? Because whether you have ever intentionally thought this through or not, you have one. You all, every single one of us have a culture in our home and in our family. Whether we have ever articulated it or whether we can ever describe it or not, we have a culture and we have values that underpin everything we do. So think about it. And very often, it's the people on the outside that will be able to tell you what they are. Um, I love leading life groups and I absolutely love it. And, And sometimes, you know, you get... When I have a room full of people, one of the things I'll do, I'll say is, right, let's, we're going to start encouraging each other, but I want us to speak positively about ourselves first. And usually it's like one of those moments, you know, like in a, in a film where the, the bush sort of rolls through the middle of the room, tumbleweed, that's it. Thank you. Tumbleweed. Cause no one wants to say anything positive about themselves. Everyone sits there. And plus for some people, they, they don't honestly know what to say positively about themselves then you turn it around and you say to the other people in the room, begin speaking positively or speak a word of encouragement over the other people. And all of a sudden, an hour later, you're trying to get everyone to be quiet. Because we can very often, can't we, we can see the positive and the encouragement on other people's lives more than we can see it ourselves. So get people around you and ask them, what are are our values? What do you think? When you think of us as a family, what do you see? What do you think? Our culture and and who we are as a family, that that culture and that values, it leaks out. They leak out. People see them. They'll say, that that family is very honest. They're very honest people. We do this all the time, don't we? Or we say, they're a bit stingy. (laughs) Or we say, you know, that family, they just seem to be kind. They're always doing kind things for people. Or that family, oh, they have a bit of an anger issue. And you can see it through the whole family. They all have a bit of an anger issue, etc. The values of your family and home, they become the values that spill into every area of your life. And especially into the lives of the children and young people that surround us. They are like sponges. They tell us that all the time, don't they? Children and young people are like sponges. And they pick up way more on what you do than what we say. And as a parent, I wish that wasn't true. I wish that they could just do what I tell them to do and the things I know that are right. But the truth is, I know that I have three boys watching me. And actually, more often than enough, I see sometimes my not-so-nice characters, not so much, mind you, because they're very lovely children. But sometimes I can see my more negative things popping up in their wee lives, and it's like a mirror looking back at me, and I really don't like it. It makes me feel bad. But they watch us. They mimic us. They absorb all that's going on around them. And then when they become teenagers, they tell us about them. (laughs) Yeah, that's a fun time. But as a parent, we can look at this either as something that's scary and frightening, or we can look at it as an amazing challenge and privilege. That we get to set these values into our children. That we get to give them the very, very best and here's the good news. We don't do this alone. We have our really close dear friend, the Holy Spirit, to lead us, to empower us and to help us to create a culture in our home that nurtures peace and that is a safe harbor and a sea of anxiousness. Galatians 5:22 and 23 says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. See, when we live our lives ruled by the Holy Spirit, walking in step with the Holy Spirit, deeply connected to the vine, Jesus, then we should produce good fruit. And the fruit listed here are great values. They are great values to frame our families around, aren't they? Who doesn't want to live in a family that's full of love, joy, and peace. Even just the first three. Full of patience, full of kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Who wouldn't want that for your kids? We all do, don't we? All of our children. And when we live our lives ruled by the Holy Spirit, then his fruit begins to be produced in our lives. So here, some of you are sitting here thinking, and if I was sitting where you, you are, this is what I'd be thinking. I'd be going, uh-oh, Houston, we have a problem. I'm not even fully sure what the culture of my family is, and I don't know where to start. And now Michelle's talking about values and culture, and I thought I was coming today and she was going to give me a nice wee checklist of things to do, and now she's talking about the Holy Spirit, and I don't know where I am. So I'm going to give you some homework this week, okay? First one, I want you to take the, the temperature of your family and home. And if you're not sure, I want you to sit down with the Holy Spirit and I want you to ask him, what is the culture and values that are in your home right now? What are, what are the things that, that, that are visible in your family life? If you live in your own, you can do this too. Just ask the Holy Spirit, what are the values that, that govern and rule your life? What are the things that, that are like your foundation? You know, is there frustration? Is there anger? Is there dishonesty? Is there mistrust, disobedience, anxiety, etc.? Or is there gentleness, truth, love, trust, respect, loyalty, fun, patience, challenge? Take the temperature. Be honest. Take the temperature. And parents, sit down as a family. If you have your kids, sit down as a family and be open to criticism. Because if you ask your children, they will tell you. And if you listen to them, You'll learn from them. And spouses, we can also do this together, but here's the rule for spouses, okay? Because I know how you all work. Well, actually, I know how mine works, okay? So that's the thing. This is not an opportunity to bring out your list. You know your list? You know the could do better list that we all have for our spouses. None of the res have that, do you? No, it's only me. Sorry. You're not allowed to bring that out. Facts are your friends. Have you ever been lost? Anyone ever been lost out driving anywhere? The first thing you need to do is find out what road you're on, don't you? Because you can't possibly work out where you need to be unless you already know where you are. Because that's the thing, isn't it? Jason used to phone me from places and go, I'm lost. And i go, where are you? He goes, I don't know. That's why I'm lost. (laughs) And then we'd have to try and identify by process of elimination exactly where he is and where he was supposed to be going. And then we would track him back again so he could find his way one time Jason got lost between Tobermore and Mahara, that's almost impossible except this man (laughs) did it it's a straight road, two miles anyway, it's a story for another day the next part of your homework, set the thermostat for your family and home I want you to spend then some time, you take your temperature, you're honest and you're real, your facts are your friends okay? you're going to find out the temperature and then you're going to set the thermostat for your family and home I want you to spend some time talking with the Holy Spirit about what kind of atmosphere and culture you want in your home and in your relationships. Invite him to renew your mind. Invite him in to renew your mind and to grasp the power he has given you to set the thermostat in your home. You can change the way things are. I don't want you to get stuck at that first point. Don't get stuck. Don't get discouraged. You can change temperature in your home you have the holy spirit giving you the power and the inspiration and he will help you to change the thermostat in your home change the temperature if you live with others then spend time identifying what are the values that we want to see alive in our home and here's what you'll discover you'll already discover that you have some key values in your house You will discover that in your home already there are key values that you live by, but you just haven't intentionally named them yet. And you maybe just need to focus in on them and actually give them more space and more um, kind of priority in your home. So start with three. And some of you really high-functioning people will think three is too little, so you add on as many as you want, okay? But there's already positive, godly values at work in your homes. I know you guys. I know you. There's already positive, godly values at work in your homes. Once you've set the values, then all of a sudden decision making becomes easier. It's a bit like when you set a budget, set a family budget. Alison will be delighted I'm talking about budgets. You set a family budget, then it's easier to decide what you're going to spend your money on. And it's exactly the same thing with this. Once you set your values, once you call them out, once you prioritize them, then all of a sudden it's easy to make decisions. If you decide that... um, If you decide... I'm trying to think of an example. If you decide that honesty is a really important value in your home, then that shapes how you discipline, that shapes how you teach, and that shapes how you lead your children. That means that honesty becomes something, truth and honesty becomes something that is a complete non-negotiable in your house. And all of a sudden, as, as an adult in the house, you become really aware of those little sponges all around you that, you're, you that you're influencing. It just doesn't direct their life, but it completely directs your life too. In post-war Britain, our overall culture has gradually, through the generations, become more child-centered. Before the wars, children still worked down the mines. Imagine that. Awful. In the 70s, which I remember, because now everyone knows I'm 45, um, in the 70s, children could still be caned in school. Who remembers that? Like, seriously. I remember being petrified. I never even got caned, and I'm traumatized. It was awful. Did you ever get caned, Jason? Oh, God. (laughs) You didn't deserve it, darling. It was an injustice. Of course it was. <laughs> you did, darling. <laughs> you know, the saying children should be seen and not heard is from the Victorian era, implying that sh- children should not be a nuisance, shouldn't speak only when they're spoken to, and were rarely asked their opinion. And I think it's a positive thing that things have changed. But I do think that parents put themselves under tremendous pressure now to be perfect parents. Of course we all want to be good parents, but perfection doesn't exist. None of us can live up to this completely unrealistic expectation of what we think it is to be a perfect, perfect parent. And it sometimes it's as if, as parents, we live in absolute fear that our children are going to grow up and become adults and they're just going to blame us for everything that's gone wrong in their life. We even joke about it, don't we? We joke, we say, oh, we'll pay for your therapy. I mean, we do, don't we? We say those sort of things to our children because it's like we're already expecting that we've messed them up in some way that they're going to need fixed down the road. And time and time again, it's as if we've become more and more and more child-centered. And I don't want to be controversial this morning, but I disagree with a completely child-centered approach because it isn't what I see in Scripture. Time and time again, I see a gospel message that is completely one another focused rather than me focused. And it's a clash of cultures between the world versus the kingdom. Now, I do not for one moment think that we should go back to children down mines. That is not what I'm saying. And I'm certainly not saying that we should bring back the canes in school. That is not what I'm saying either. But the world says, center everything around your child and young person. centered all around what they want and what they desire and everything will be okay. But the kingdom, what does the kingdom say? The kingdom perspective says, teach your child about one another. Teach them the perspective of obeying your parents, love your enemies, love one another, serve one another, treat others as you want to be treated yourself, be humble, be gentle, pray for those who actively are against you. That's what the kingdom says. That's what the kingdom says. Because the kingdom says that we live in a, in a way and in a home that is Christ-centered, not child-centered. The best thing that we can give our children is a home that is Christ-centered. His kingdom first. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. So how do we build resilience? I'm going to run through these really, really quickly. This is the practical, practical part of the talk. I have listened to um, some psychologists this week. I've been listening to some, some talks from people way, way, way more uh, educated and trained in this stuff than I have. And I have just drilled these down to eight essentials that I think for building resilience in our children. The first one is, all children and young people need routines and boundaries routines and boundaries are our friends and your teenager will kick against it so will your toddler so will your baby and so will your primary school child so all the whole way through they will kick against them but they are good for them all right through your life and even as adults we benefit from boundaries and routines because they keep us safe now if the boundary and routine is too tight and too stifling then the life is squeezed out of us isn't it have you ever been in that situation where you just feel too contained and too the structure is too tight and your life just can't spill out? But equally the other the other is not good. If we are in a in a home or in a in a structure and a culture that's too loose, then we find ourselves constantly trying to find where the walls are. We just spill out and spill out and spill out. And for some young people, the first wall they hit is the police. And that's the truth, isn't it? where the first line that's drawn is when they actually break the law, because up until then, there's just been no no safe boundary for them. Second one, the importance of family connection. Family is the foundation for our children. And I mean extended family, I mean your family in your home, your friends, the, the people in your life that are like family, all those people that speak into your kids' lives in a positive way. And this is a foundation for a child's life. This is where they get their security from. Therefore, if this is off-kilter, it can be a real source of anxiety. They begin to feel that, that, that they're not as connected, that they're not as rooted in, then they can start to feel anxious. Studies have shown that the simple act of a family eating together, undistracted, has an incredibly positive impact on children and young people. Sometimes it's as simple as that eating together. Now I know that is not possible every single day, but when it can be, it's just such a a powerful practice. Another thing that um, sometimes children that are battling with anxiety and mental health problems, they say that even, it's a simple practice of 10 minutes a day on divided attention. So that can be doing a puzzle, reading a book, taking the dog a walk, kicking a ball about in the back garden, but just even 10 minutes of undivided attention with no phones I'm the guiltiest parent in the world for having this in my hand all the time Matthew will verify, it's not good 10 minutes undivided attention can make an incredible difference to a child's recovery from mental health problems. Isn't that amazing? Because sometimes we think we have to give two hours and it just feels too much, doesn't it? We're thinking, we've already got this list of things to do, 10 minutes um, Cheryl has been invited for the past couple of years to take part in a fast program which is called families in school together in Dungannon primary brilliant project and basically she goes in and she gets to be part of that and it's all about building connections between families and their children it's just actively trying to promote that and families that are, that are starting to struggle or that, that the teachers can see that there's just, they just need some help and support And how do we play together? How do we spend time together? And, um, and it's brilliant that that's happening and it's being piloted in Dungannon. Number three, talk about feelings and express emotions. So, so important. Help your child find the words. Help them find the words. If you see a young person or a child having a complete meltdown, Right there in that moment is probably not the best time to try and teach them what they're feeling. But you see when they're okay and they're, and they're getting on all right and they're maybe watching a wee movie, this is a really simple tip. If they're just watching a movie, a Disney movie, and there's one of the characters is really sad or really angry or something, just say to them, what do you think they're feeling? And get them to identify the emotions. And then get them to put the words on their feelings whenever they're feeling stressed. But if you don't teach them what they are, they won't know. All they feel is this just explosion of things going off inside them. And then if it comes to a time when they're struggling, they'll have the words to tell you what's going on. Number four. This is the hard one. Allow them to feel. I can almost feel the knots in your stomach tightening. You see... One of the hardest things to do is to allow our children to fail. We want to swoop in at every opportunity and rescue them. But they will only learn to problem solve if we let them solve their own problems. I'm really bad at this. Every time my boys come to me with a problem, I just jump in straight away with ten solutions that they should have done and could do and all the rest of it. And I'm learning. I'm learning to let them find their own solutions Instead of me jumping in, I'd say to them, well, what do you think you should do? What might work with that? You see, they're not going to learn resilience if they never fail. It's only when you fail and you get up and you go again that you actually learn from it and you build resilience into your life. Number five, develop empathy. This is such a kingdom principle. We need to teach our children to see and recognize what other people are going through. Acts of kindness. It's actually taken off. I think this is brilliant. Servant evangelism has taken off the world over. If you look on Pinterest or any of those things, it's like lists of random acts of kindness you can do for people. And it's wonderful. Because we all realize that actually we find our lives when we give it away. We find our lives when we give it away. Encourage our children to do simple things, like include the child at school that always gets left out. Go through their toys regularly, once a year, a couple of times a year, and get them to give away stuff that they don't need. I don't know about you, but when my kids were smaller, we had so many toys, we had to put some in the attic, because there wasn't enough room for them all, and then we would rotate them, because there was too many for them even to play with, and then we would start clearing them out, and giving them away. Take your children out in Big Serve. Davy would love to see you and your family out in Big Serve. Get them out serving people. Over the years, we have seen so many children, amazingly good at doing these sort of things last year at crash laura gulby blew me away out in the streets i've been doing servant evangelism for years and years doing giveaways and just blessing people very simply and she totally taught me how to do it she was amazing how you get your child children involved is up to you but you know aunts and uncles can do this too you can take your nieces and nephews and you can, you can show them empathy and you can encourage them to see beyond themselves because in a world that is so me-centered, we need to show them that there's another way. That is not what God has for them. My auntie used to take me carol singing at Christmas time. and I loved it. I loved it. I loved that we got to go around all the wee old people's homes, like outside, just around Tobin and We got to sing carols to them. And it just felt like this wonderful thing to do, to go out and do it at Christmas time few more and then we're done teach them how to breathe that's going to sound like yeah michelle everyone knows how to breathe little baby humans right from the beginning know how to breathe deeply they know how to fill their lungs and that out again somewhere along the line we forget how to breathe you're looking at me like i'm crazy but we do we become tense, we become stressed, we begin to, um, physios will talk about this, where you hold tension in your body, you hold stress physically in your body, and that's what we do, and, and we don't know how to breathe. So everyone, take a big deep breath in. And when you're stressed, and when you're anxious, your body um, starts um, releasing all these crazy flight or flight, fight or flight hormones that just cause you to become more anxious and your brain becomes overloaded and you really, really don't know how to calm yourself down. But the number one way, whether your child is a baby or whether they're a teenager, is encouraging them to breathe deep breaths. And then all of a sudden what happens is your body starts to calm down, the anxiety starts to go and your brain follows suit. Isn't that magic? It's like a mystery. Teach them to breathe so that if a time comes when they are anxious, and we all get anxious, and a time comes when they are stressed and they're overwhelmed, they will already have these tools. These are tools for life for them. Number seven, give them unstructured time. Please, 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 please don't fill your child's time with 101 million things. Give them some space where they can just be kids and they can find their own way and and create their own activities. And this is where I'm finishing. Surrender your child to God. Dedicate them into his plans and purposes. Trust them with them. Would you trust God that he knows best? Trust that he has them in the palm of his hand. It doesn't matter what storm they're going through. It doesn't matter what struggle they're going through right now. But he has them in the palm of his hand. And that sounds so easy, but honestly, it can be our biggest, biggest battle. See, we desperately love our children and young people, all of them in our lives. We love them. We want what's best for them. And we get so anxious whenever they're anxious. And we get so stressed whenever they're stressed. But to trust God with them sometimes can feel like the most difficult thing to do. Remember Hannah, who I talked about a few weeks ago, She was depressed and in anguish and she prays to God for a child and he gives her a son. And after he's weaned, she takes him back to Eli in the temple, 1 Samuel 1, chapter 1. And it says, they brought the boy to Eli and she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He shall be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. And later on, First Samuel two twenty six, it says the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Later in chapter three, we read about the time when the Lord began to speak to Samuel, and he was in the temple. Story, long time ago, or are you familiar to you? And he hears the voice of God. Samuel's lying in bed and he hears a voice calling his name saying, Samuel, Samuel. And he runs to Eli and he says, Eli, what do you want? And Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And this happens a couple of times. And then on the third time he comes and Eli says to him, the next time you hear the voice, say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And we Samuel goes back to his bed and he hears the voice again and he hears God calling him Samuel, Samuel. And he says, speak Lord, your servant hears. Our children need us to encourage them to hear the voice of the father. Eli the priest was not his father or mother. He was another trusted adult in his life. And yet he got to teach Samuel how to hear the voice of God. See, that's all of our jobs. Yes, it starts with, our, with us as parents, it starts with us, but it's all of our jobs, whether you're a parent or you have, you know, as part of this family of God, and I just don't mean our volunteers, and we have some amazing volunteers, and if you volunteer in our kids work, our youth work, I want to say thank you so much for your investment in our children. Thank you so much for that, but it's not just their job, it's all of our job that we would teach our children and young people to know the voice of God. You see, apart from Jesus himself, there's no greater gift than we can give them. Pray for them. Would you pray for our children and young people as well as for your own? Would you pray for them? Would you pray over them? Would you pray with them? Would you remember that their Father in heaven loves them more than we do, encourage their friendship with Jesus, who is a friend like no other? There is no greater friend they can have than Jesus. And teach them to hear the voice of the Father. That they would recognize his voice and sense his presence. Let's stand.